Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. Member, FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. I'm like, well, fuck you, I got paid nothing for four and a half years. Let's make money for two years and then go do the rest of my life with, like, not having, not being broke, basically. Being able to call yourself a nuclear physicist sounds important, like it must pay a lot. Nuclear physicists must be at the top of the food chain with a job for life, right? Liam Dodd begs to differ. My name is Dr. Liam Dodd, and I'm a data scientist. Dr. Dodd was a physicist in Geneva at CERN, which is where the Large Hadron Collider is located. He's also worked at CEA, a similarly famous lab in Paris, which you'll hear him talk about. Now, he's working in used cars. I wanted to know why. I'm Maya Lau, and this is Other People's Pockets, the show where I ask people about their money, so the questions we all have about how much other people make and how their finances work can be a little bit less of a mystery. Thank you so much, Liam. Thank you for being on the show. Uh, no worries. I was quite quite interested to be asked, so I'm happy to be oh, here. Oh, good. So. You are a nuclear physicist and also a data scientist. Mm-hmm. Can you explain to us what exactly you do? Um, so currently, I work in industry. So I'm, I work in data science doing um, machine learning and AI tools around the secondhand automotive market. Um, But I have a PhD in antimatter physics, and I worked for four and a bit years as a research physicist. Um, So I worked at CERN in Switzerland, and I also worked at CA in Paris doing um, fundamental research into antimatter and specifically the gravitational interaction of antimatter. Can you just describe in, in, you know... (laughs) Obviously, I've I've read your LinkedIn profile and stuff, and I'm I'm still not sure I fully understand exactly what you were studying. Can you break it down? Like, what was your particular focus, and what was kind of the the question that you were trying to answer in your studies? Uh, okay, so I'll just, I'll break it down into two separate parts. So 
what I was studying was how to produce and focus a beam of antimatter protons um, towards a very specific target. So that's like that, that that very small section was what I focused my entire like time doing this like steering, stabilizing, and focusing a beam of antimatter protons towards the target. But the reason we're doing that is because we were trying to answer this question, which is in the standard model there is no explanation for gravity. The standard model of physics doesn't include a good thorough description of gravity. So what hmm. physicists are doing at the moment is trying to find areas where they can possibly find something that disagrees with like our understanding of physics to try and probe how gravity works at a quantum level. And the reason it's interesting is because antimatter like was first predicted by giving particles negative mass. Turns out we create antimatter particles and they have like positive mass. We don't have negative mass in physics. And what is antimatter? So antimatter is symmetric to matter. So for every matter particle, you have an antimatter equivalent, which is the same but has an opposite charge. So it's it's basically a mirror image of the universe um, in terms of particles that exist. But that means we have equations where you have um, matter and antimatter interacting gravitationally, and we don't know what will happen. There's no explanation what will happen. We mm. all predict they will behave like normal gravity because that's just how we think physics would work. But we were trying to test that if you drop antimatter particles on Earth, so on a matter gravitational field, will it fall up or will it fall down? Because that question can then start probing like any deviation from what's expected. We can try to poke and prod holes into how does gravity actually work and how does antimatter differ from matter? Because at the beginning of the universe, antimatter and matter were created in equal numbers and they should have mm. annihilated each other to leave nothing but radiation. But instead we have a matter universe. So we don't know why. So what will it tell us or what will it tell the world once we know more about like how and why gravity works yeah so it's, we have the we have we have einstein we have newton's model which is pretty good for like base stuff quite simple stuff mm -hmm. and then you have einstein's model of general relativity which is like really good at like doing good predictions of how the how gravity works like across the solar system and across the universe but then when you get to really really small levels because gravity is so exceptionally weak like if you think about it, the entire mass of the Earth, which I think is like six times 10 to the 26 kilograms, that can be beat by like me lifting my fingers up. Like that's in a huge amount of mass and I can overcome it with like a few muscles in my fingers. So the gravity is just so weak that we don't know how to get it to work together with quantum mechanics where things are so, so strong and powerful at like close ranges to each other. So is what you're doing now a departure from your physics work? Basically, yeah. So when you get to the end of the PhD, the, the split is whether you carry on in academia, doing the postdoctoral path and then lecturing and then professorship, or mm. whether you go into industry. And also every step along postdoctoral, lecturer, professor, people continually leave to go into industry. Mm -hmm. And I, weighing up all the options, chose to go into industry because as partly financial, but also because of the lifestyle involved in being a postdoctoral physicist. Oh, can you talk more about that? Like you, you were kind of deciding basically between two different career paths. And it sounds like you chose a path that was maybe more lucrative and also had a better lifestyle. 
so the the pay as a PhD student is like genuinely horrific. Like the, the amount of money we get is is borderline criminal. But as a postdoc, you start getting like real salaries that are based on, especially in Europe. I'm not sure about American conditions, but in Europe, most countries have some sort of kind of collective agreement about how much people can be paid based on like their qualifications. So suddenly you get a salary which like isn't all that much, but going off like making almost nothing suddenly feels quite good. So the money is not great, but it's like livable. Mm-hmm. But the problem is because postdoctoral contracts are anywhere from six months to two years, like two years about the maximum you'll get, you have to keep moving around chasing grants and research positions at different universities. But if you're not lucky, then you end up having to move like all the way around the world just to keep trying to do more physics. So I was trying to build a life with my partner. So I wanted to be able to move mm-hmm. either towards her or move closer to her or have at least a stable job near in the, in the area rather than living in Switzerland while she lived in Austria. So I just chose to go to a job where I at least knew I had some sort of protection and some level of like kind of continuity. Like my contract, my current contract is a permanent contract. Like it never runs out. Ever? Like for life? Yeah, they can dismiss me for like various things. But they have to be like actual reasons they can get rid of me. I could stay right. in the job until the company like collapses, basically, and they'd have to pay me out. Whoa. So, yeah. <laughs> Is that common? So I'm employed under Austrian, uh, by an Austrian company. And Austria has like over 90% union membership. And almost every job has some sort of union that's done the collective yeah. bargaining. So there's no minimum wage in, Aust- in Austria um, because the unions have agreed a minimum wage that everyone has to be paid and your pay right. has to go up a certain amount every so often and your pay has to scale to your qualifications and one of the things that's big about that is that once you have like passed your prob- probation period your contract is like it's called permanent they're not obviously they're not truly permanent because obviously the company can get rid of you for multiple reasons but in general they're quite hard to get rid of you once you're hired so that's why they have that probation period to see if you're like actually would a good fit for the company. That's interesting. So now you're a data scientist for an auto company, right? Yeah, um, they, they do market analysis and data for like the secondhand car market in Europe. Okay, that sounds completely different than what you were doing in your <laughs> studies. I mean, what's what's the relation there? Like, what what do you what are you taking from your studies over into this, this new job you have? So a lot of what physics is, at, like in particle physics especially, is getting lots and lots of data and then like looking through the data for the result you're trying to find or like or disprove mm-hmm. it. So I spent a lot of time working with data, doing a lot of statistical analysis, doing a lot of programming and doing a lot of um, coding so that I could like build tools that would do analysis or build things that would model things for me. So I had lang- languages that like only particle physicists use to do lots of modeling and then it spits out huge amounts of data so i have all the skills of my mathematics my statistical analysis my data understanding my programming and then i take that all and then apply it to a completely new field where i don't need to actually understand cars all that much i just need to be able to learn some some things here and there and then let the data speak for itself and like bring the conclusions out from it without me having to like think too much about what each of it means in, in like the kind of most basic level. So it seems like you went from researching super high-minded big questions about the universe to the business of selling used cars. 
Do any of your colleagues in the physics world think that you sold out? Um, it's it's kind of funny. So um, obviously, I'm on LinkedIn, as, as you as you probably you saw my stuff on there, and I have all my PhD colleagues on LinkedIn. And there is a kind of game that we play as we watch that as all my physics PhDs have gone into postdocs, you see how many years they last in postdoc before they become a data scientist, because yeah. it's pretty much the career path that everyone does out of like our kind of physics, because it's very mathematically minded. Um, mm -hmm. the, 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 they, if you don't make it in academia for long enough, you end up being a data scientist or you go work on Wall Street. Um, and mm -hmm. the people who work on Wall Street get more criticism than the people who do what I do. So mm -hmm. it's... There's a, there's a bit of like, it's, I think it's you more- You did the each, less sellout option. Yeah, it's the less sellout option. And also like all of us internally like knew that if we could make, have a stable life and make money, all of us would never have left physics. Like we all know that to be the case, mm. but that's just not how the world of academia works. So we all know that like all of us like would rather be doing physics because that's all we ever wanted to do in our lives. But we understand the reality has changed and we can't- that's not, it's not a way we can like survive in the world. You can find inspiring stories almost anywhere. For instance, check out the co-founders of Girls Who Do Interiors. This Miami-based design company was started by three friends when they were still in school. And right from the start, they turned to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards. And they handle them all in one place with the Chase mobile app. It's so important to have that kind of help when you're just starting out. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank N.A. Member FDIC. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. It just seems like you spent so many years of study. It requires, obviously, also a lot of just intelligence and, you know, intellectual rigor. And then you're not really, it sounds like you weren't really compensated very well. Like, can you talk to me about that? Yeah, so the whole of academia seems to, well, I can't speak for humanities because they have a different system and I feel very sorry for how they're screwed over. Um, but in science, a lot of it is based on the fact that the whole system works on PhDs doing really rough and hard work um, for well below their like market value because of the passion they have for the subject and their interest in studying that. And while I think we should be paid more for what we do and that there should be much better conversation in general, the the system has built itself economically around the fact that PhDs are very very cheap labor. Like they, if like for my example, my experiment had a lot of very specific component parts. So we had like million euro vacuum systems that would like turn the the, the tubes that we worked into like to very very low vacuum pressures. And these were like million euros just to buy one. 
but then so this is the kind of expense they're looking at and then they say well to pay for a phd for three years is like thirty five thousand euros so we can just get two or three of those and they can like run all this stuff so the the, the economic the, the economics is so broken and that phds are viewed as basically very cheap labor to get quite complex things done Right. And you said that you were like criminally underpaid. What what did what was the, your pay? How much were you paid? Um, so by the time I was finishing, my pay was about thirteen hundred euros a month. Um, I don't you don't you don't pay tax because it's an EU grant. So that's so you just take home what you get, um, which like thirteen hundred euros is not bad. Like people live on less, um, but it doesn't really compensate for the lifestyle that you have to live. So when I was living in France, I was living in Paris, which is a very expensive city to live in. Um, right. And my rent was like about 40% of what I took home, which was fine. I was, I was all right with that. Like it didn't, I didn't have much spare money, but you know, I, I didn't, I was never broke. But then when I went to Switzerland, Geneva's average rent is about a thousand to 1,100 a month, which when you do them sums, like leaves me with 200, 300 a month to feed myself travel Mm. everywhere to work every day um and like buy anything else i need so it just leaves you with like no money left over afterwards what did it look like practically for you it it was uh living in hostels and hotels um staying with random other phds that had floor space it was sleeping in my office like i think the last month and a half i was in geneva i think my diet was basically three cheese sandwiches and a packet of crisps a day. And that's why I lived off while working like 12 to 14 hour days. Like there's, there are pictures of me before my PhD and pictures of me afterwards. And I aged, I aged quite a bit in the last year and a half of my PhD because of the stress and poor diet and not sleeping. So you were basically homeless? I, 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 was, I was literally homeless, yeah. Your your bosses in this scenario, I mean, do they know this? Like, did they know that you were basically that you were homeless? And what do they think about that? The, the the double problem I had is that because I was there for six months and then got a six months extension, no one would rent to me because they wouldn't give me a contract less than a year. Um, so that made it difficult for me to find permanent housing just in general. And the day I was due to come back to Geneva, because I'd been visiting my partner in Austria, um, I was meant to view a house to rent. And it was a scammer who was trying to scam me for a thousand euros. Um, But I'd worked out on the train. I got an overnight train from Austria to Switzerland. I'd worked out on the train that this was really suspicious and their behavior was really just suspicious. So I basically arrived in Geneva then without a home. um, And my boss let me sleep at his house for like three or four days while I found a hostel to stay in. Um, so yeah, so the only time I had permanent housing for more than uh, a month was when I spent two months living in a small French town called uh, Jex, which was an hour and a half from work. And I used to, have to get three buses to get to work. Um, one of the buses took me to the airport, which was like every morning, it's all these happy people going or coming on holiday. And that's just me like an hour and a half into my journey trying to get to work. So yeah. Wow. I mean, I think people really have no idea that some of the scientists working at some of the most prestigious institutions who are, you know, trying to answer these really big questions about physics are <laughs> like like couch surfing and, you know, can can barely feed themselves. 
like you're you're doing something that I mean, you've said that, you know, if you could, you would you would still be doing physics. So now do you feel a sense of peace with where you're at? And, you know, given given all the factors like the the money and stability and being close to your partner and everything like that, it's all worth it. Or do you feel are you angry that like you can't do this thing that you love? I'm personally like quite content with with where I am like my job is very good and like, I work from home I have a very small team that I actually work alongside I find programming and data just like personally very interesting like even when I was doing my PhD I had like spreadsheets of how many podcasts I listened to what movies I'd watched I would analyze all this stuff just for fun because I found data interesting so I'm one of those like very obsessive like data nerds so I personally like enjoy what I do and my quality of life is so vastly improved from when it was when I was researching. The the comfort that I've got from my job and doing quite well with my job is something that I'm personally relatively happy with my position. But mm. I think that in general the 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 vast like difficulty in maintaining people in academia when they want to be in academia is such a like negative cost to society as a whole so there's so much benefit from like if people who want to study can study to this like high level that us not choosing to fund it just feels like we're we're losing like so many benefits because of how we've done the system and that's before you get the fact that like doing a phd and a master's is incredibly classist and has huge amounts of ableism built into it and it's just a hugely punishing system for those who don't fit like the very narrow like prescriptions of what people expect from people in those fields. I'm not likening my scenario to yours at all, but um, it just is making me think of, you know, I was a journalist for many years and and left recently. And, you know, I had a lot of moments where it just felt like, who who is the person that can actually afford to stay in this industry? Like, it, it seems like there's a fair number of people who actually just come from family money, and they're just doing journalism because it's fun for them. And they like it, you know, but not because it's actually how they make a living. And, and there certainly are people who make a living, but it's not, you know, it, if you have kids, or you have, you know, bigger financial goals, it can be pretty tough. And I mean, I, I wonder if if it's similar in science where the people that can actually afford to to do scientific research their whole life, like maybe they actually just have other sources of funds. <laughs> I, I don't know the statistics of it down to like how it behaves across like the whole thing. But when I was in France, I was at an institute called CEA, which is like one of the like premier nuclear research f- facilities in France. It's like where they built the first French reactors for like, because France is a very, very nuclear heavy and nuclear, like pro-nuclear country. Um, it's just like one of the centers where this all came from. And the people who were there who were French had come from the very, very, very best French schools and universities. Um, these like Ecole Supérieure and stuff. And all of them basically came from some level of money because to do it, you've got to go to a prep university and then you've got to, and that which, and then usually you get some sort of tutoring or assistance during that prep university to go to the superior university. And like I came from like a pretty like standard middle class background. I, I never, my parents were never poor when they had me. Like we we had money, and then we had less money, but we never were broke. 
which I think also means that like I have what like I've heard people describe like kind of like the kind of middle class confidence that like I even though I had like negative money in my bank account um was homeless was eating like really garbage if worse came to worse my parents would have flown me home and I could have like stayed with them while I like sorted my life out so like even though I was in like a very dire situation I think for me the, the actual severity of it was never like the forefront of my mind possibly because of stress but also because the worst thing that could have happened to me was going to live with my parents for a bit. You can find inspiring stories almost anywhere. For instance, check out the co-founders of Girls Who Do Interiors. This Miami-based design company was started by three friends when they were still in school. And right from the start, they turned to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards. And they handle them all in one place with the Chase mobile app. It's so important to have that kind of help when you're just starting out. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank N.A. member FDIC. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com/now. Do you have student loans? Uh, yeah, I have British ones, so I I will never pay them off, um, mm. and no one bothers me about it all that much. Like I, I pay a few, I pay a few hundred every few months, and the interest goes up. Um, and like in forty years, it will go away. Um, but I don't live in the UK anymore, so they can't really chase me if I stop paying. So you said in forty years it'll go away, like they forgive it after that time, or yeah. So our student loans are basically provided by the government, um, and we pay them back basically as like a graduate tax rather than as like actual repaying them. So if you make a lot of money. Mm you'll pay it off real quickly. If you don't make a lot of money and like make just enough to hit the minimum contributions, you basically just pay a tax on the rest of your like working career for having gone to university. So how much money do you make now? Um, it's some a little bit above 40,000 a year. Do you feel like 40,000 euro a year is comfortable for you? I, I would I would like to make more um, because I think there's more comfort that would come from making more. But I I don't consider myself frugal, but I just don't consider myself to be that expensive in my tastes. So like I support um, my partner's studying at the moment. So I support her um, and we have three pets. So I have to, and the vet bills on that and we cook all our own food and we pay for like any public transportation or when we go out for drinks and dinner. So all those costs, like I don't run out of money every month based on like how I live. But if I had more money than I could like, you know, travel more. I could go on like weekends away because like every weekend away we go on, we have to like find someone to look after the cats. But if I could just had more money, I could just throw money at the problem. So like I consider myself very comfortable with where I am, but obviously more money would give me more opportunities to do more things. Right. Yeah. I mean, it would, it, it gives freedom. I mean, I wonder if, if you've ever just like out of the corner of your mind, like considered a wall street job 
just because I imagine it would pay potentially many multiples of what you're making. Yeah. So when I was at the end of my PhD, I was like beginning to look for jobs to apply for. Um, And then while I was doing that, I got approached by a Goldman Sachs recruiter who was looking for like hires in like the data science field that they have at their company. And like the salary they start on is like something stupid, like 110,000 pounds a year or something, um, which is a lot of money. Um, But I don't really like the financial sector. I think it's pretty, pretty gross. So the kind of money that would kind of basically be buying my like silence and compliance is the Mm -hmm. kind of wage they have to pay. Um, Mm -hmm. Like as, as I've got older and I've met people who work for like quotation marks, bad companies, I've got, I've got like a bit more of a nuanced understanding of like how that works, but some companies I just don't think I could work for without having to be paid like literally stupid money because I just wouldn't feel very comfortable with what I'm doing. Yeah. Well, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that um, I'm just wondering based on your, you know, everything you've gone through and I think some of the frustrations around how little scientists are paid, if, you know, I can imagine there there being moments where you're like, you know, fuck this, like for two years, I'm going to just like catch up basically. <laughs> like, Yeah, no, it's, sorry, sorry, my partner just messaged me to remind me that she was the one that was very upset that I got the Goldman Sachs offer because she thought the company uh, was evil. Um Oh, Sorry. and that you you weren't the one that. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. She just messaged me. How dare how dare you say it was you that was angry and not her? <laughs> yeah, uh, you were actually fine with it. Oh, I I, I I I had the same logic that you had. I'm like, well, fuck you. I got paid nothing for four and a half years. Let's make money for two years and then go do the rest of my life with like not having not being broke, basically. Yeah, and I feel like I've also. You know, I I definitely had a a very negative view of, you know, the financial industry at a young age, but like more off more recently have kind of been very intrigued by funds that basically investigate fraudulent companies and then um, build short positions against them. And, (laughs) you know, sometimes they they hire former investigative reporters, which is what I am to basically to investigate companies and to find companies that are like actually fraudulent or are lying to investors or are like not totally not doing what they're they say they're doing and like that's an area that I'm like totally interested in but like from my you know 20 year old like version of myself I would have said like oh like I don't want to get into finance at all but like there's actually like a lot of kind of interesting corners of it that you know like <laughs> become become a little more interesting when you've like lived a little longer and so uh, what you were just saying i think that's one of the things that like so my general like politics and economic views are like very much not in favor of finance and the way that it operates but i think like people are, like in my position who are, like very much favor of green technologies very much like opposed to how banks operate and like would like to have like much more like control given to labor don't think about what happens if you do begin to invest, especially in like large quantities. Like if people like myself had like put more money and investments towards, or at least like asked our pensions to be put towards like green technologies, like 10, 15 years ago, like the amount of money that exists in those kind of pension parts could have started to actually begin mm-hmm. to make an impact on like how the rest of the economy rotates around these things. Cause like 
I know that like until very recently, my pension fund that I pay into because of the way I work was going towards coal right. and oil companies because they're just considered very safe investments. And like, right. I don't want to be supporting them, but I didn't know that I could like go and ask right. my pension part to be directed towards more ethical companies. Um, and I, and I, I have friends who work in similar kind of fields to you, but it in terms of the finance stuff and that they work for like, they investigate the behavior of, um, of, of banks and stuff, um, for like, um, for, for the government. And one of the things they often read is like stockholder reports. Like they get hold of like what the stockholders are being told and they can use that for information and for advice. And like there are people who buy stock in Google and Facebook just to get hold of the memos to like see what the hell is going on with the company. Um, and people who are like very opposed to these places who don't have any involvement with how the company's operating have no power to make them change, nor have any real information on like how they're like internally justifying the behavior. And then when you have like places like in, so I think America, like there's a lot of power given to shareholders if they like actually unite together and do something. Right. But we were never doing that because none of us wanted to be involved with their company or like give the, or make money off them making money. Right. So eventually we ended up screwing ourselves because we didn't want to participate in the system. Exactly. But the system didn't care. The system just carried on right. doing what it was doing. I'm also thinking of, of like, this idea that in order to be an activist or in order to be, you know, for social justice, that there's this assumption that like that means that you don't have money or like that, mm -hmm. you know, money doesn't isn't important to you, isn't your main goal. Um, and and actually, like the way to have the energy and the clarity of mind and the time and the capacity to fight for social change, like often involves being a little more financially stable because if you're scraping by and you're you know working three jobs or like stressed out all the time and not getting sleep like you're not going to be very effective like you're not going to be able to think big and and strategize and volunteer or whatever um and so just like because i think that i was very much brought up with like you shouldn't have money as your goal like it's not a good it leads to perverse outcomes like it, it, it like just do do something that you believe in and then like you'll probably make enough money to live and that's fine but i wish i had learned more about like you need you need a good a good bit of money if you want to be sort of financially comfortable or even financially free and that in and of itself isn't necessarily a bad thing because like you're going to need that stability to to do the th kind of things you want to do. Yeah, because I, I think as I've got older, like when I was like, well, while the PhD is not comparable to like someone who works two or three jobs just to make ends meet. Like mm -hmm. when I was when I was going to work, I was leaving for work at like eight in the morning. I would get home sometime after 8 p.m., sometimes 10 p.m., would often have to walk and get buses to get back and forth from like work to to where I lived. Like I I had no mental capacity to actually like complain about my situation. Like there was there was no like I got home and I would literally vegetate in front of the screen for like an hour and then go to bed because I had like no capacity to do anything more than that. And like mm -hmm. it's like when people are, are are struggling to make ends meet, like how are they like gonna really be able to get the opportunity? to like try to like improve the situation 
like even as simple as like how unionship works and stuff like even the time like taking time out to go to meet a union rep oh absolutely yeah, yeah. like you well if you have if you have kids who have to be fed and or t- picked up from school you don't have time like your day is already running on the bare bones of limits taking 50 minutes yeah. out of your day to listen to someone who if it, if it worked out yeah you probably would improve your situation but you don't have the time for that like you right. literally don't have this time and capacity to think about that yeah, I was one of the organizers for when the Los Angeles Times formed a union. And I mean, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of time and talking to all of our colleagues and going to meetings. And I actually had to bow out at, at some point because I I became pregnant. It was just too much. Like, And I felt really bad, but it's like, it's a lot of work to advocate for yourself and your colleagues and to, to try to make things better. And if you're just exhausted all the time, like it's not going to happen. Yeah, like it's it's not viable. Like it's one of the things that I d- dislike when people like expect everyone to like be like ready to fight for the cause. Like you can't mm-hmm. expect it. Like it's just not possible. Real simple things can massively impact your ability to like to be involved in these things, and therefore you can't really work to improve it unless you have, as you said, like money to be comfortable and stable and not have to panic about things and then the time on top of that that money gives you if you only have to work one job you don't only have to work one job it gives you loads more time than if you're busting yourself back and forth between two two jobs yeah so what do you indulge in if anything financially um video games and every so often formula one um related related expenses huh okay what kind of video games um, well, currently I have a PS4. I will buy a PS5 when Forbidden uh, Horizon Forbidden West comes out. Um, but I kind of play a lot of things, like any- anything from AAA to indie. Um, if it seems interesting, I will s- spend my time um, playing it. But mostly things that are story-focused, like Last of Us 2 um, was like my favorite game of the recent time. What does enough look like to you? When I can buy my food... Uh, go out uh, and have a some sort of holiday throughout the year and my bank account never gets close to zero. Thank you so much, Liam. This has really been fun talking to you. I had a good time as well. Other People's Pockets is written and hosted by me, Maya Lau. It's produced by me, along with Joy Sanford and Dan Gallucci. Production help from Angela Vang. Our mix engineer is Dan Gallucci. Our executive producers are me, Maya Lau, along with Jane Marie and Dan Gallucci. A special thanks to Cheese Sandwiches and Crisps. Other People's Pockets is a co-production of Pushkin Industries and Little Everywhere. To find more Pushkin podcasts, listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash 
Unconventional Awards. See you there.